0: Hello everybody and welcome back to Critically Acclaimed, the movie review podcast where good taste and bad taste punch each other. My name is William Bibiani. Oh wait. Now, my name Hello. is William DeBiani. I am a critic. Everybody
1: calls me Bibbs. Can't do it without the sound effect. My name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a film critic. I don't have a cool nickname. I'm just a film critic.
0: That's cool enough for me, yeah. baby. And uh, this week on Critically Acclaimed, we're reviewing the new releases Small Axe, Red, White, and Blue. That's the third film in the series of films on Amazon from Steve McQueen. I think technically it's the fifth, but they're releasing
1: them out of order for some reason. Really? Yeah. Anyway. I hadn't heard that.
0: Okay. Uh, let's see. We've got Land, We've got Black Bear God. Godmothered, uh, And of course, uh, on the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Club, uh, we're talking about, because our patrons requested it at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network, the Brian De Palma Thriller Classic Sisters. And just because I desperately need to talk to someone about this movie, even though it's like a year old, I need to take a minute to talk about the 12 pups of Christmas. Oh, God.
1: There's a reason... You told me you had to talk about this movie. I thought you had, like, uncovered some, like, lost Ozu classic, or you had finally caught up on your brasson or something.
0: I'm sorry, let let me rephrase. uh, Ozu's (laughs) Twelve Pups of
1: Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're interested. It it would be called, like, The Dogs of Late Winter. (laughs) Um... Okay, uh,
0: before we get going, uh, I do need to make a quick announcement, because I mentioned this on Twitter, but I didn't announce it mm. on Patreon or our Facebook page. Um, I, we didn't put out as many podcasts as we usually do last week, if you hadn't uh, seen our tweet about it. Um, 2020 sucks. It's, uh, it's pretty
1: rotten. It's like, pretty a lot, bad. Lot, a lot of bad things happening uh, this It's year. Bad
0: things are happening all over uh, to everybody. We've had some good news as well, of course, but... Uh, it just seems to be a tragedy machine. And um, uh, without going into a lot of detail, uh, we, we we are dealing with another death in the family. Um, and uh, this is, I think, our third this year. Jeez. And uh, it's it's just been really, really bad. And it hit, hit us really out of the blue. And uh, again, I don't want to go into a lot of detail, but it's been a real rough time. So uh, we needed to take a few days uh, to get our bearings, take care of some practical matters um and it 's still pretty rough going, but I you know work helps and mm. it 's nice to have good friends to talk to to uh uh have things to share with. We do consider all of you our friends, so um in any case um i'm i 'm going to try to you know uh uh
1: we're, we're gonna have a podcast today. We're gonna, we're gonna have. have a, a, we're trying to have a
0: good time on the podcast. You need today a, a I can, you needed
1: a few you, days to, yeah. to reconnoiter and, and emotionally and, and deal. The whole and family did. You know.
0: So, um, so uh, yeah, we're we're gonna we're gonna have a good time here today. I'm not gonna uh, go into any more detail than that. But um, rough one. So thank you for your understanding. We I do apologize for not putting out more podcasts. We kept trying to schedule things, and it kept never being a good time. Um, so anyway, let's uh, let's just move on. Let's, let's review movies. Let's review movies. And also because of that, unfortunately, uh, Whitney saw, once again, a lot more movies this week than I did. So let's start with the only new release that we both saw together. Mm. Uh, or rather, we both saw on our own laptops.
1: <laughs> and then
0: came together and talked about mm. uh, uh, simultaneously right now. Let's yeah. talk about
1: Small Axe mm. Red, White, and Blue. Yeah, we've been... Uh, there are five small access films in five weeks, and this is a really yeah. exciting cycle of films from filmmaker Steve McQueen. And I've only seen the two of them so far because I still haven't
0: had a chance to go back and rewatch or, or watch for the first time Mangrove. Mm. Uh, Which was but, the first one. It's the longest of the films as well. So I've noticed. Um, I We reviewed Lover's Rock on mm. the last Critically Acclaimed, and boy, is that one of the best movies of the year. Yeah, and it's really, really terrific. It's such a a, a glorious and joyful and... Very soulful movie in a way that I I don't see a lot of in Steve McQueen's other work. He can be a somewhat uh, um, somewhat clinical director sometimes. Mm. Uh, And it was just absolutely human. And his new film, Red, White and Blue, isn't quite as what's the word I'm looking for here? natural natural
1: no, it, it, it feels like a movie it's a little bit more orchestrated in fact this is his I said this of mangrove but this one even more so feels mm. like the most movie of his movies
0: yeah this is like it
1: feels like a construct
0: yeah this definitely has you know in fact if anything it just kind of feels like Steve McQueen's riff on Serpico it's also based on a true story uh, about uh, someone who goes into the police department thinking they're going to do the right thing only to find out that the police department doesn't really care for that very much mm. uh, There's some similarities It's also Again They're both based On true stories This is based On the true story Hold on I had it in front of me And now I don't Anyway no. <laughs> uh, What is What is the name Of the, the gentleman This is about Whitney um,
1: It's uh, um, Leroy Logan Was yeah. the name Of the uh, The actual officer Who was in uh, The London police uh, Who tried to uh with very bright eyes. Mm -hmm. Like, we see uh, his childhood at the beginning of the movie where he's having, uh, it it opens very much the same way as uh, uh, The Hate You Give, wherein uh, it it all surrounds a a talk that a black father is having with his son about how to deal with the police. Yeah,
0: because Leroy, young Leroy, is just standing in front of his school. He's wearing a school uniform and everything. Mm -hmm. All he's doing is waiting for his dad to pick him up when two white police officers get out of the car, cost this kid. He's like, 12, maybe. Mm. And he, he's... They practically, like, rough him up and take him in just for being black and on the sidewalk. And his dad manages to extricate him from that situation. Say, oh, he matches the description of a... Yeah, we yeah. know what that means. Uh, dad, yeah. Uh, dad is played by Steve uh, Toussaint. Mm. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Toussaint, I think. It's Toussaint. Mm. Uh, and T- he's fantastic in this movie. Oh, yes. Uh, and, uh, yeah, he he's... Not a fan of the police at all, and he tells his son to stay away from them. Uh, cut to years later, mm. Leroy is a young man now, played by John Boyega. Uh, John Boyega is he, he studied science in school. He's actually uh, studying to go into forensic law, and somewhere down the line, he gets it into his head that what the what the what the legal system really needs are more people of color actually on the beat Mm -hmm. on the streets to prevent the kind of racism that he sees from happening and also to reassure people that the legal system does in fact work for them, Mm -hmm. even though there is ample evidence to suggest that it does not. Um, This is a film about that. Yeah, very, very much. This this is a
1: film about uh, how, yeah, he he goes into the police force with uh, optimism and, and bright eyes Uh, John Boyega is great at at sort of depicting... The fall from hope Yeah uh, Like uh, And it's amazing th- th- how a young far he, person
0: has It's amazing how far He gets with And because we We follow him From his decision To go into it His dad Really doesn't Want him to mm. And they almost Have a falling out Over it and, you, and I think In a more conventionally Structured film This would be The kind of thing Where they only Find some measure Of acceptance For each other Right at the end mm. And here it happens Towards the beginning
1: But their relationship Is still strained mm. Um in fact i really like the my yeah. favorite thing was the last shot it's nice because it 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 does just sort of push you out with this Nothing's really changed here. Yeah, we just learned end, how bad it is. It doesn't
0: end in a big court case yeah. that like resolves this is not, everything. Yeah, I'm not trial of the
1: Chicago Seven or anything
0: yeah. like that. And and again and and uh, Leroy Logan is actually again he, this is a real person Ooh. and he uh, he
1: founded uh, a, a policeman's union the um, yeah. the Black Police Association.
0: Yeah, he's he's been on the forefront yeah. of trying to make the uh, London Police Department better. But this isn't the story of how he did that, assuming, of course, one could argue that the the deed is done. This is a story of how he initially went in thinking, I'm going to do this, and for a little bit, it looks like everyone's on board. His superiors are on board. Maybe we're gonna. No, 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 no. Uh, it turns out actually a lot of the people he works with are racist or perfectly okay with working with racists. Mm. And he finds out just how absolutely alone he is out there and how much of an uphill struggle this is going to mm. be. And the movie ends long before he makes any meaningful headway. It ends. We basically get as far well, yes. as him as him going. I guess I'll have to keep at it. It's yeah, <laughs> kind it, of as far as this movie gets. It, it's a pretty short film. It's
1: about 80 minutes. Mm. and uh, it's,
0: it's, a, it's a tight 80 minutes, though. Mm. It doesn't feel too short.
1: No, no. But what I appreciate is uh, this is essentially the first two acts of a more conventional drama. Yeah. Where he'd reach sort of this low point, And then the third act would be this big rally where everybody would have it out. And there'd be big fights and somebody would set something on fire. And all of that schlocky stuff that we see in these kind of big Hollywood melodramas is mercifully absent from red, white and blue. And I think if it had been there,
0: Mm. the movie would have been sort of lying to us and suggesting, well, the problem's been solved, right? Or or we're addressing it. The uh, the thing is
1: we still haven't. And this, mm. this guy's been doing this for decades. And I, I feel like that's the one daring element of red, white and blue of, of a drama that is, I, I appreciate his sort of, uh, uh, ph- photographic, observational, artistic style that he's bringing mm. to these fel- these small acts films. I'm seeing a lot of uh, humanity in mm-hmm. in uh, the small axe films that I haven't seen in any there's of, a, of an, Steve McQueen's other movies. There's an
0: intimacy, I think, is really significant. There he and go. He's, he's uh, willing to just observe mm. humans rather than to observe
1: a situation or a theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah he he's not willing to go the full mile when it comes to just brazen melodrama yeah. whereas whereas other filmmakers felt would feel like they would need to wrap up the story or say that there was some sort of sort of conclusion or actually have like a Chiron and saying and then he went on to found this thing, and things were better. That's an American thing. That's a very well. That, that's very, not American.
0: That's just Hollywood. That's, yeah. that's that dream factory yeah, thing this, this where we can't we can't sell can't you just sort of a ticket on a downbeat. Um, yeah, yeah, we can't sell you a ticket and leave you going home depressed. Yeah. We have to come up with an ending where everyone mm. gets married and there's a bit with a dog. Like there's got to be something. Yeah.
1: So yeah. I, I appreciate that uh, Steve McQueen is just sort of looking at the problem and saying, "This is a problem. Is, is there a solution?" Well, if there was, we would have done it. Wouldn't we Mm -hmm. have?
0: The solution is we keep trying to make Mm -hmm. it better, don't we? And I really find that... Very noble. The, for me, the best stuff in this movie. And there's some showy stuff here. There's one mm. bit where uh, John Boyega is uh, pursuing a suspect, and it's done in a series of long takes. It's not yeah, quite okay. as showy as some other long takes have been, but yeah. it's clearly it, they're clearly putting some effort into it.
1: Showy, but it doesn't feel like you know an Alfonso Coron thing where he's well, going to show off how long he can go without well, when, cutting.
0: If you, one, of, one of the better, I think, long takes in recent years. This movie. I, and I'm not the biggest fan of mm. Steve McQueen's Widows, but there's a really amazing shot oh, yeah. in Widows where I think it's Colin Farrell, uh, he's a politician, mm. and he is... He gets in a car, and yeah, we get to see he, the he whole a, neighborhood. He, he yeah. gives a speech in an incredibly like, low-income neighborhood, and he's talking about how the economy has failed us mm. here and we have to do this, this and this in order to fix it. And I am a man of the people. And then he gets in a car and the camera just follows him into the car. There's a short conversation as they drive. And then he gets out and gets into his fucking mansion, which all, is all like, in one take. Which is really like which is yeah. like less than two minutes away. Like mm. that's how tightly knit incoming mm. inequality is. It's a really pointed take here. It doesn't quite serve that kind of like. Really honed thematic element It's just a strong way to hmm. Present the scene, make it suspenseful It's very similar to a scene in Serpico Where hmm. um, Serpico keeps calling for backup And maybe backup won't come uh. because people don't like him very much That's why I brought up Serpico It doesn't have the exact same thing, But it's still about police corruption um, But uh, Yeah, for me, like the best moments are actually like The really tiny ones There's this really great bit where um, John Boyega's father uh, is he? He actually has like a case against the police department for unlawful arrest, mm. and he's what, ready to go to court. He wants to prove that this that they you know betrayed their oath of office and that they're bad cops. And then the police department realizes they can't win this, so they just drop it. And everyone's like, "So did we win? No, but you didn't lose, <laughs> and that's the best you're going to get in this racist system." And the dad has to. Like, take a moment in a bathroom just to, like, look at himself in the mirror and steal himself and deal with just how how powerless he feels. Mm. And John Boyega looks at him, and you see that John Boyega is, like, trying to figure out what his dad is going through. And then there's a scene later in the movie where John Boyega has the exact same moment, and he remembers his dad there. And you realize that mm. it's same same shit, different day. Um this is an excellent film it's it's lovers rock feels profound in a way that this does not but this mm. is an excellent motion picture yeah and yeah. i highly recommend it i
1: mean if if any reaches the same heights as lovers rock then we'll be lucky yeah there's two still that's two a, additional that's high films bar. coming out uh, that's coming high out, bar. out of this cycle I'm, I'm really enjoying the cycle as a whole though yeah. and uh, kind of how varied it's been one was a courtroom yeah. drama one was a police drama and one was just sort of a slice of life party musical film, film. Yeah. yeah
0: it's great um so yeah mm. i do need to get back to mangrove mm. but in any case red white and blue was absolutely worth it please go see it it's really great it's on amazon prime mm. all right moving on uh, the next uh, the next three films are films that only whitney saw so i will, I will shut the hell up <laughs>
1: uh but <laughs> and I'll, and I'll try to, to be interesting please yeah,
0: um so there's a new film uh
1: called Land, which is getting a lot mm. of critic acclaim mm. And and uh, as right rightfully so because it's one of the best movies of the year. Ooh. This is the third feature film from Chloe Zhao, and the first one I've seen. I did not get to see The Writer, mm-hmm. which was really highly acclaimed. Uh, and what was her first film? It was um, Songs My from my Songs My Brothers taught Songs My Brothers taught me. Uh, and she, uh, she rather curiously has been picked up to direct a Marvel movie.
0: She's doing, um, yeah.
1: yeah, she's she signed on to to direct a film called Eternals, and I know nothing about Eternals. It's actually um, not the most
0: like it's actually a weird like corner of the Marvel universe. But basically, imagine Marvel Highlander. Okay, there's this race of people who li- never die, and they're in the Marvel universe, and they have superpowers, and they live kind of off in their own little corner, and you okay. know. It, it, there's a lot of potential there, but it oh. actually doesn't write itself. It's a weird angle.
1: Hmm. Well, that kind of makes sense because Nomad Land is about people who live off on their own corners. Um, hmm. uh, Frances McDormand plays a woman named Fern. Uh, she's a widow. She is at the end of her financial rope. She uh, kind of loses everything, including her home in the financial collapse. And she falls in almost in a really natural sort of way. In with a community of American nomads, that is, people who live in buses and in vans, and learns the very, rather slowly and in a very genial sort of fashion, the ins and outs of what it is to live life on the road. And the movie is just about her travails on the road. The people Mm. she meets... Uh, how things like dishes become really valuable commodities, how uh, she attends lectures like where to park so you don't get the dreaded knock on the window from the police officer saying you can't park here because Mm -hmm. these are people who are sleeping in their vans. And it does uh, reveal, explore... uh, the very real phenomenon of this entire class of people who live out of their vehicles Mm. uh, and just sort of travel from truck stop to truck stop. They get a job, but it's not a career. They're not looking to get up. They're just looking for a few bucks so they can buy a few more supplies. So uh, there's scenes of her and uh, one of the people she meets played, uh, played by David Strathairn. Like the two of them are working in a pizzeria in one scene. Uh, There's, sort of a romance between she and David Strathairn, but not like they actually take turns flirting, but also really resenting each other. And, uh, they learn that they do have a support network network. Each of them has family that they can go to, but given the shape of the world, the family isn't really in a position to put them up either. And, uh, over the course of the film, we get this growing sense of, Horrific economic injustice that is constantly yeah. at work in this country. Sounds like uh, a sounds like but, a decent double feature with American Factory. Uh, American. Fa- I was going to say Into the Wild, but ah. without that kind of self-important, preachy uh, element that Into the Wild had. Into the Wild treated uh, Christopher McCandless, a real person who just sort of left the grid, as this sort of noble. Soul who took to the land and lived off the land and eschewed, uh, you know, city life. And uh, sure, there's, you know, sort of a, a weird fantastical catharsis in the idea of living off the grid and leaving it all behind. That's not what Nomadland is about. This mm-hmm. is about doing this by necessity and looking at the small attachments that form in this world that needed to be formed out of this economic hardship. Uh Frances McDormand is bloody incredible. Yeah. In, in general, yes. But in this film in particular.
0: Well, I, we always say uh, that, though. Totally. Yeah. Like every fucking time she's every other movie she makes, she'll occasionally mm. do a studio thing. She'll mm. show up in a Transformers movie and you're just like,
1: well, the house payments got to get paid. Yeah. And then so like, but then she'll, 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 come she'll do a, a Transformers film so she can afford to do something like Nomadland. Yeah. And every, she is. I think it's long since time that we just call her one of the best actors just, just work, working now. Yeah, yeah. Certainly
0: working today, but just yeah, in she,
1: general, uh, her character is named Fern. If you look at the cast, you'll see that all of the characters are named after the actors who play them. So there is this kind of, uh, extemporaneous, almost improv, uh, style. Dorman's name is Fern Francis. Well, her name is Fern, but all the other ca- like David, ah. David, David Sturtherin is named David and all of the other, uh, if you look up the cast, all of the other actors are, and characters are named the same. Uh, so there is this kind of natural quality. And I think I'm not sure how much of Fern is Francis McDormand, but she is occupying this role in a way that I don't usually see her do. She can put on a good affected performance. Mm -hmm. Uh, You'll even if you look at Fargo, you know, she's, she's putting on a character in that one In this one, she's sort of living in a character that I don't think I've seen before. Uh, She has a very honest, very earthy, quality to, uh, to her performance that I, I just really gets under your skin mm. um, it's, it's, it's just great, okay. it's just such a great does that, film does that,
0: let me ask you a question, because, uh, and, and again, I only saw a couple of minutes of this, so I'm not going to pretend I have any meaning, anything meaningful to contribute mm. and of course I will watch it in its entirety when I get the chance, when mm. you know, life allows um, is this movie just because I got the impression it was this is a very subtle film does it have the big emotional highs, or is it gonna be uh, a, a more subdued experience that we can expect?
1: It's definitely subdued, um, okay. and, and from what I understand, this is like I said, this is my first Chloe Zhao film. But I, from what I understand, this is the way she works. Okay, uh, the the action doesn't really climax. There's sort of gentle emotional crests mm-hmm. and troughs throughout, and there is a, eventually a confrontation, but that's not. That kind of puts a button on the theme of the movie, but that's not where the story is supposed I th- to
0: go. I think it's fascinating to me just how easy it is in your head hmm. to imagine, like, the Chris Columbus comedy version of this. Yeah, we had
1: it. It was called Forrest Gump. I was going to say RV, but OK. R-
0: well, yeah, R- I didn't see RV, but because, yeah. I think. Uh, but regardless, like, it's easy to romanticize this kind of like, yeah, well, the economy sucks, but. Road trip
1: movie? Yeah, Those we'll just, are fun, right? We'll just go on a road trip and oh It'll no, a raccoon got into our apricot fruit leathers. It's like <laughs> mm, ch- shut up, you bougie asshole. <laughs> yeah, this this does not put any kind of romance on this. It okay. treats it as a, a very real life and it, but it also doesn't put pity on it. Mm. It's not something to be uh, you are handled with kid gloves. Chloe Zhao is going in there, looking at it, and saying, "These are people." Yeah. They and in uh, in a very Hirokazu Koreeda sort of way, she seems to be really interested in uh, people who have been essentially discarded yeah. uh, by the economic system, uh, by society, and who are seen as uh, vagabonds. Mm. And yeah, Frances McDormand does get a great speech near the end of the movie where she talks about how uh, you know the economic system has made it impossible to be permanent anymore. So yeah. the only real choice is to if just you're not making a real amount, amount of money, yeah. You, you, yeah. you're not making any money whatsoever, and, and you
0: even if you're in one mm, place. And yeah, and how you're horrible, living,
1: horrible, and limiting it. that is. So uh, it's it's so deftly handled, and yeah. Frances McDormand is so good. Uh, it really, 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 really. Uh, Touched me
0: Okay Uh, Well, sounds beautiful Uh, Is
1: Black Bear that good? Black Bear is a little bit of an odd animal Okay Uh, Black Bear is sort of a two-hander It's two movies in one Uh, It starts with Aubrey Plaza Who Mm -hmm. plays a young film director Who is renting space in a remote cabin From a young couple who have set up their home uh, In order to be like an artist's retreat and they, they have in their minds that artists are going to come here and will sort of feed off of their spilled-over artistic energy. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the couple is played by Christopher Abbott and Sarah Gaydon. Uh, it's the third film this year I've seen Sarah Gaydon in. Uh, and she's pregnant. He's an asshole. And the first night, they get really, really drunk. The couple bickers at first about having artists around the house and then about the fact that Aubrey Plaza is in their house and about how it's created this huge amount of social and sexual tension between the married couple. Meanwhile, Aubrey Plaza is a little bit baffled by all of this uh, drama that she's found herself in and finds that she can't really extricate herself from it because of the way she communicates. She just thinks, yeah, I guess I'm just hard to read. I get that a lot. And in that sort of sarcastic Aubrey Plaza sort of way. And that action climaxes in a really dramatic way. And that's about 30 minutes into the movie. Oh, so we're good. Then we're good to go, everybody. Thank you so much for going home. Well, and then the film cuts off. It restarts. And this time, Aubrey Plaza is an actress in a movie set at that cabin Sarah Gaydon is her co-star and the it the man who was previously Sarah Gaydon's husband is now her husband and the director of the film and it's okay and it becomes yeah. this drama about how Sarah Gaydon and the director are actually secretly conspiring to make Aubrey Plaza's life harder and make it look like they're having an affair even though they're not so she'll come to the end of her emotional tether and give that much greater a performance on camera during a really dramatic climax. my heart. They're, so mi- they're Yeah, they're mistreating her in order, so she'll give a better performance. And that's that's the plot of movie I- two. And, and then, of course, there's, like, another twist at the end, which I won't reveal, but throughout the movie, uh, like, Everything's really, really unpleasant. Everybody's uncomfortable at all times. And if if you don't like movies where people are screaming at each other, then you'll hate this movie. There's there's a lot of screaming and discomfort. And your, your mind is constantly wrestling with the relationship between these two halves. Like, is the film we saw at the beginning the film they're making in the second half? Is it some sort of emotional parallel between what's going on with the characters in like different forms is Aubrey Plaza, the director brainstorming the film that we're seeing in the second half in the first half. You know, what, mm-hmm. what What are we getting out of all of do we, this? Do,
0: is this the kind of movie where you, it's hmm. like lost highway where maybe it makes sense, but the actual connective tissue is gone and we're just going to leave you. The idea it's is a- to leave you mulling it over. Or is there in your eyes, hmm some sort of definitive conclusion. And is that satisfying itself? Uh,
1: there's no definitive conclusion and thank goodness, okay. uh, I, because I hate definitive conclusions. <laughs> You'll notice that's the, that's actually a running theme between the three films we've, we've reviewed. Uh, small ax doesn't really have that big dr- dramatic melodrama mm. ending. Uh, Nomadland, uh, just sort of presents you with the world and doesn't leave you with a, a solution. And, uh, black bear leaves you with a, a little bit of a mystery and it's the kind of film that invites discussion Okay. and maybe a, a bit of a discomforting dis- discussion because it is about uncomfortable things and failed relationships and the, you know, the relationship between abuse and art, which is something that's come a, a big part of the conversation when it comes to filmmaking yeah. recently about how, uh,
0: the idea C- certain of like, directors oh, we can have a, re-
1: a reputation for being uh, cruel to their cast and crew specifically so they can get like a, a very specific tone on camera. And for many, 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 many years, in yeah. fact, I would say most not, if not, not the majority
0: just, of, the, yeah. of, of cinema, uh, the implication was and it's good that they did that. It's yeah. real good because now The Shining is good, hmm. to which I would argue Shelley Duvall is very talented and she probably would have given a good performance even if you hadn't been a shit to her. Yeah, And yeah. I I was – like a lot of people, we were just told that, like, oh, it's so incredible that, like, Stanley Kubrick pushed his actors that far. And
1: after a while you realize, oh, yeah, well, eh, if, no. Well, if – No, shouldn't have done that. If actors and, and directors are going to have that relationship, I think it's f- – Fine if well, they discuss that. As long, as, that. Like as, if as, you long as everyone's like, uh, on board. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You look at uh, like the relationship between uh, Werner Herzog and Klaus Kinski. Yeah, those guys hated each other. I don't know. They pulled a gun on each other. Yeah, they, I think like, that might have been, been a line. They, 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 <laughs> they, like they honestly wanted to murder one yeah. another. And well, the one I think
0: of is uh, mm. DiCaprio and Iñárritu in The Revenant, mm. where DiCaprio, like he was say, on board for yeah, all he, he stuff. sees uh, yeah, I'll, I'll mm. sleep in a dead bear, like I'll swim in an icy river, like. You could have like I assume like if if Inuritu pushed him to do that and he didn't want to, then DiCaprio should sue his ass off. Yeah but the implication that I got from all those interviews is that DiCaprio thought he was pushing himself. Yeah. Tom yeah. Cruise
1: is the same way he wants yeah. his direct, cause he kind of like co-directs he most of his movies. He wants to hang off the bird. Yeah. It's like, you know, like, it, yeah, like somebody's not saying, Hey, why don't, why don't we do something really dangerous? He says, I don't know about that. Like he's the one who's coming up with these ideas. He's developing yeah. it with the stunt coordinators. Jackie Chan was like this, yeah, but he was yeah, doing yeah. it so, himself, you know? Yeah. Again, if, if the actors are on board with this kind of tempestuous relationship with their own directors and they know where the lines mm-hmm. are, and then I the think can come. And if the, if the insurance is OK and the director is wise enough to say or the actor is wise enough to say you're pushing me too far, mm-hmm. then that's fine. Unfortunately, that's not what's happening most of the time. No, there's a what's lot happening it, most of the time is a director is being abusive to get great art. And that was excused for generations. We have to
0: keep a really close eye on mm-hmm. occupations that give people a lot of freedom mm-hmm. to be assholes. Yeah. And that goes for directors, that goes for politicians, mm. that goes for people in law enforcement. And, 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 that goes for coaches. That goes for any time where like it's like, oh, they were hard on me and that was a good thing. Like, no, I saw whiplash. That's not necessarily a good thing. Mm.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that's why I like Whiplash so much. It's yeah. a film that actually addresses that a little directly. Yeah. And yes, and, great art came out of it, but at what cost? Yeah, like that, that the, person yeah. was just kind of destroyed. Yeah, yes, yeah, his yeah. It's, hmm. it's a, it doesn't come up with easy answers, and I respected hmm. that. Um, but okay. yeah, this this uh, this is a, a film that has that as part of its makeup, and a, a, you know, yeah. infidelity and in art and the the extremes to which actors push themselves. Okay. Um, Aubrey Plaza. Produced this. as okay. uh, she plays multiple roles in it, and this is sort of a showcase film for her. She's so talented. Uh yeah, she she's, she's really, really great. And, and you have more seen than just Grumpy a Cat's
0: worst Christmas ever. <laughs> <laughs> I'm dead. I know that I know I watch she, all the bad she Christmas plays, movies.
1: She plays Grumpy Cat.
0: And you know what? A genuinely funny movie. I'm dead serious. That is a mm. gen that movie knows exactly what it is. Mm. It is a genuinely funny motion picture. Please see it. Let this become a cult classic because it deserves uh, it.
1: Her performance is is a little bit screeny. Like a lot of her, mm. a lot of her performance requires her to be sort of drunk or, or uh, hysterical. Yeah. But uh, I I think she's declaring something new uh, in her mm. career. She's uh, she, she's doing something other than uh, a lot of the the comedies and light dramas that I've seen her in to date. Yeah. And, uh, I, and I admire that this is kind of a Narratively complex in a college student sort of way movie for her to stretch a little bit um okay well uh does Godmothered uh have that same sort mm.
0: of you know artistic sheen that does it stretch right. the what cinema can be does it stretch mm. what we consider acting can mm. be does that have something important to say um, about the world in which we live no. Okay, I thought it was setting up for a better joke than that.
1: <laughs> Godmother sucks. Um,
0: <laughs> I, I really wanted to see this one, because I actually really like Jillian Bell. Yeah, Jillian, Jillian Bell. Jillian really uh, funny.
1: Jillian Bell, and this this seems like the kind of uh, vehicle that that she could bring something to. This is of uh sort of a riff on that movie Enchanted with Amy Adams, uh whereas it's it's another attempt at Disney trying to deconstruct their own mythos. Deconstructing their own mythos is part of their mythos now. Yeah. Uh they've been doing it since the nineties. Oh no, now now our princesses are empowered now. Yeah, they've been empowered for as long as they've been unempowered. What what do you got next for me, Disney? Um Godmothered is on Disney Plus. I think it was one of the films that was meant to be released theatrically, but they just sort of put it on their mm-hmm. service. And the premise is there is a Hogwarts-like school for fairy godmothers in a mystical kingdom in another dimension somewhere.
0: Okay, so this would be like the, the counterpoint mm. to
1: the tooth fairy. Where Julie uh,
0: Andrews runs the Tooth Fairy uh, uh, business.
1: Uh, it's funny that you should mention that because the fairy godmother industry is crashing. <laughs> They're all in danger of becoming Tooth Fairies. <laughs> okay, that's kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, re- that's, that's, that's kind of fun. The reason the fairy godmother industry is crashing in this universe is because nobody believes in happy <laughs> endings anymore. Uh, Jillian Bell, who has never been a fairy godmother before and is eager to prove herself, goes to the big uh, fairy godmother wishing room where they keep a lot of letters from young girls who wish for happily ever after endings, finds one that has long been neglected, takes it through a magical portal into modern-day Boston. Modern-day Boston looks nothing like the real world. It looks like a set. Everything is clean and sanitized. If you're going to juxtapose the real world... With the fairy world Make the real world kind of grimy Enchanted almost got this right I they, think in the happy did, working song They got like closest yeah, the Cleaning
0: yeah. stuff in the kitchen Yeah there's a little bit of that
1: Yeah, yeah like there's there's actual filth in Well it's movie. also about Not those much, worlds like colliding
0: And how as soon as Amy Adams shows up in the real New York mm-hmm. The real New York starts like at least around her yeah. Becoming a little bit more fantastical People can actually find themselves in musical numbers That kind of thing mm-hmm.
1: um, So it goes both ways I yeah. guess is my point um, but she she tracks down the young girl who wrote this fairy godmother letter when she was young. Uh, turns out now she's grown up. She's Isla Fisher. Isla Fisher has lost her husband in an accident and has uh, grown with three children and is trying to raise them on her own. She works in a for a news, local rinky-dink news operation, and her boss keeps on insisting on if it bleeds, it leads type stories, and she's starting to roll with that, so you can see that her soul is burning away. Mm-hmm. And Jillian Bell comes in here, saying, "I'm here to give you your happily ever after." I have real magic powers. She turns her dumpy little hovel into a, a Disney theme park looking house. She turns her dog into a piglet. In the one funny gag, uh, there's there's like one or two good laughs in this movie where uh, she has a, a like a, a woodland critter helper mm. who is a raccoon. And the raccoon is clearly still a little feral. So it's like sweeping the floor and then we'll like start chewing on shit. And that's, yeah, that's that, kind of funny. funny. Yeah. Uh, the arc is getting her to believe in true love again. And there's this cute guy at her news office that she has to be set up with but the fairy godmother character doesn't understand how things work in the modern world so she turns uh, Isla Fisher into like fairy tale princesses with big ball gowns and stuff Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly what era they were all supposed to be trained for clearly they're all just going to enter the film Cinderella it seems to me like the way you're describing and again Mm -hmm. I didn't see this one so correct Mm -hmm. me
0: if I'm wrong the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like they're actually training to be fairy godmothers. It sounds like they're training to perpetuate the Disney idea of fairy tales, the mm. old-fashioned original Disney idea of fairy tales, not no. the modern uh, sort of, you know, subverted
1: version, one. Yeah. But,
0: like, the idea that the old-fashioned fairy tale fantasy of Happy Ever After and Magic Princes and all this stuff, uh, that fantasy, that specific fantasy is dying. Mm. So they're living. It sounds like they'd be living in like this sort of timeless theme park. Yeah. And what we're really trying to do is rescue the theme park.
1: More, more or less. More it's, or less. It sounds well, kind was, of self-serving. I was, I was actually thinking while I was watching this movie yeah. that the Gillian Bell character is a metaphor for Disney. Yeah. And how they are constantly trying to shove fairy tales down our throats, and how they need to come to terms themselves with the idea that true love might look like something a little bit different. Yeah. The The problem is, the true love they find at the end of the movie is family. Oh, so it's the end of Frozen again. Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, but... Um, it's a, again that and this is, this goes into what Frozen is all about, oh, we're subverting so much, well, you're not really, but
0: yeah that a little, it's a little, that it's, a
1: it's less about the marriage between the prince and the princess and more about a reconciliation between two sisters. It is about the family right uh and that's that's daring as far as these big Disney animated features go. A part of me wants to
0: see this exact premise. <laughs> mm as like an R-rated Sundance yeah, comedy. Yeah, yeah, you know, Where, like, where
1: the, the fairy godmother lands and everybody's cussing and it's yeah. all like really profane. Uh it would be nice if it took place in a world where sex exists mm-hmm. and the, the, fairy godmother has to learn about sex and like a little bit that human relationships are a little bit more complicated mm-hmm. than just waving a magic wand.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
1: there, and there there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff here. It's a premise mm, that you can see why it would, it would, it would
0: get purchased. It would it be could option. Even, yeah, it Like could it, even, it sounds like
1: a good idea for a movie. It could even lend itself to a uh, sort of a, a modern comedy. It's like, uh, okay, we need a, a pumpkin carriage mm-hmm. to go to the ball, like the, the big, Music contest at the end of the movie And one of the jokes is whenever uh, Jillian Bell tries to turn a pumpkin into anything It just explodes and gets pumpkin guts everywhere yeah. So Why not like oh no well I found Like and here's some good product placement I found a Pringles can And we're going to turn that into a coach Like she turns a piece of garbage into a coach And that's a fun visual uh, Juxtaposition Got it. But they don't do that they turn they just take a Watermelon and turn that into a coach that's not particularly funny, is it? No, that's like the same that's, thing, it's a different fruit. Yeah, it's like the coach is now just a different color. No. And she turns a cat into a horse And you'd think, oh, this would be a great like Tim Burton thing Where they, the horse is like this weird Alley cat monster that's dragging This yeah. piece of garbage Or at least, Coach, the, or at least the horse still
0: would be like behaving like a cat Yeah, it's, you you know, know? No, just, it's
1: just a flying horse they don't, uh, like, there's, they don't do anything with the comedy Jillian Bell is trying cool. her hardest To be this broad, funny character But the film itself is so artificial And broad mm. that she's not standing out She's actually being tamped down By this material Jillian Bell need like she has Brittany runs a marathon. Which is very, very good. Very good. And she's really good in it, but she and needs And she's always, more, like, the like, best
0: part of any ensemble that yeah, she's and
1: she, Yeah, and she's really, really hilarious. Please see 22 Jump Street. Yeah. Uh, where she just steals the whole show in yeah. that movie. Or
0: even something like Fist Fight, where she's just mm. like, hey, listen, this, this isn't very good. Would you mind coming in and just saying some unbelievable shit mm. and just help us get through this movie? And she'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but she does, and she's so, briefly yeah, she, funny. She's also a horrifying human being who should not mm. be a teacher at all in that movie, but <laughs> she's... She's
1: funny. Mm-hmm. She's giving her all. But yeah, oh, yeah she, uh, she she's at least like leading up with this big, relatively big budget uh, Disney film yeah. on Disney Plus, And it's going to be a good profile for her. But that's I, wonder, I, I, I that hate help, that. I like, I hate to think of it in those terms. Well, that, in those terms that this is a good profile let's, for an actress. Let's be, like. well,
0: let's, well, hold on. Let's actually yeah. be fair, because, Maybe. again, movies don't exist in a vacuum. If we hmm. look at, say, a movie made by a filmmaker, we think about how it fits into the other films that they've made and whether it's better or worse or fits a theme or if it's striking new ground, or is this something that feels like it's inside the actor's wheelhouse and done a million times, or are they really stretching and isn't that cool if they pull it off? Um, So I think if we like an actor and we see a movie that maybe isn't the greatest movie ever, but Mm. we do see it as at the very least as actor got a showcase, Mm. that's not the most unreasonable observation. And, I do find it really disappointing, though, that I feel like there was a lot of that this year. There were going to be a lot of movies this year that were going to be a lot of, for example, women filmmakers who are getting an opportunity to direct blockbusters. And then COVID happened. And now a lot of their movies might not even go to theaters, Mm. which means that fewer people are going to look at them with that same level of prestige. And that fucking sucks, doesn't it? And I just think, you know, raise awareness of cool people wherever you can. And if the movie ain't great, the movie ain't great. But at least Dylan Bell is good. Yeah. I mean, she's, like as I said, she's, she she's
1: trying, but it's not good material for her. Well, speaking of not good material.
0: um, OK, so as I said, it's been a rough week and we hit a point. We hit a point of critical mass in this house where we're just like we we we, we got to put on a Christmas movie. We got to put on. Any stupid Christmas movie. And we looked for classics. Guess what? Not a lot of them on streaming right now. So we were sort of stuck, and we went to Hulu. Uh And Hulu has a giant Christmas section with movies that have the exact same title. For example, they had The Twelve Dogs of Christmas. We didn't watch that one. We watched The Twelve Pups of Christmas. Different movies, completely unrelated. Bless them. 12 Pups of Christmas is a Christmas movie directed by a serial killer.
1: There's no rule that you have to watch. (laughs) Again,
0: I refer you to my description of this movie. It is a Christmas movie directed by a serial killer. Mm -hmm. Um, you watch a Christmas movie and from Hallmark or even Lifetime sometimes, all these like really low budget Christmas movies. And you realize that they're just good natured and bright mm. and they don't have to be good. Why? Because they're good natured and bright. And that's all you want. You just want something in the background while you make cookies or have coffee or something. You're just looking for the cinematic equivalent of a Yule log. That they're, isn't just a video of a I was Ule about log. to say,
1: they have video Yule Logs. <laughs> I've seen all the Yule Logs. They have
0: nothing to, to surprise me anymore. Mm. So you watch a Hallmark movie, or you watch a Lifetime movie, or watch one of those things, and they're the same movie over and over again. Mm. The rom-com still exists. Occasionally, we still get them in theaters, or run major streaming services, but the old-fashioned, absolutely saccharine, pointless, and even when they're good sometimes, they can be pointless, rom-com, it moved to TV mm-hmm. and they're almost all about Christmas now. Whatever. That's. I can't control that.
1: <laughs> so we were just like, okay, it's so here's, Christmas gives people license to fall back on shit tropes yeah. that all the other genres have wadded up and left behind.
0: It's called tradition, Whitney.
1: Um. What? It is (laughs) It's the whole thing It's supposed to be hokey So, 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 so so. Well, one one man's tradition is another man's gum stuck underneath a bar stool So,
0: we saw a description for a a movie about a canine therapist A human or a canine? A human being not not a dog who is a therapist A human being who (laughs) specializes in therapy between people and their dogs
1: Okay Helping their doggy relationships Mm. And uh, to quote B. Arthur, ah, a bullshit artist. Yes. Did you try to bullshit, Did you bullshit last week? No. Did you try to bullshit last week? Yes. <laughs> History of the world. Part one is very funny.
0: Um, she's a canine therapist. She her her. And this is the description. A canine therapist. She's recently single and she moves to Silicon Valley where she gets a new job and falls in love with her new boss. And they have to give away 12 puppies at Christmas.
1: Great! Give, Thank you. Giving away twelve puppies is easy if you have a t-shirt gun. <laughs> oh, sorry. You just you. launch them into the crowd. So, so.
0: <laughs> critically sorry. acclaimed does not endorse that. No, I want I to make
1: that abundantly clear. No one. I, no I am, one. I am not now, nor have I ever <laughs> stuffed a puppy into a t-shirt gun. Okay. Uh,
0: so we're like, okay, great. This sounds like pablum. This sounds like exactly what we need to not think about things for a minute. Hmm. <laughs> the, this movie feels like it's directed by a serial killer. The the protagonist the, okay, is, of this movie. Is, is this movie, like
1: unintentionally Cassavetti's sort of thing? No,
0: no, no, no. It's unintentionally like William Castle. Like it feels oh, geez, like okay. It feels like it's one step mm. away at any given moment from everyone killing each other. And it's fascinating. Mm. There's a scene in this movie so we, we, our, our heroine comes home After like a bit of a montage Of her talking to all of her canine mm. um, Cohorts uh, Not cohorts, so, you know, clients clients, right. Humans and their canines mm. And she comes home and she finds out That her boyfriend and her best friend Have cooked Christmas dinner mm. Without, or I think it's Maybe it's Thanksgiving, but they've cooked holiday dinner uh, Without her, and she's like But that's the best part and they're like, well we thought it would be nice I'm going to leave. Mm, you're, and done, so, you're done after. And yeah. And so basically she just walks out like Willem Dafoe and Spider-Man. And you're just like, um, are we supposed to be on her side? And then you realize, no, she overreacts to everything. And she says everything with a sinister bent. Hmm. Later on, we find out that her best friend has been cheating on, uh, uh, her with okay, her husband, her fiance has been cheating on her with her best friend. Okay. So she leaves. She's very upset. Her best friend shows up on the doorstep, penitent, mm-hmm. apologizing. And our our hero uh, basically, like, turns this into a weird whatever happened to baby Jane kind of thing where it's like, I always knew you were weak, You're weak. <laughs> <laughs> And like forces and her to take are. Your, you're going to you're going to clean up all this dog poop while I'm gone and you're going to like it, aren't you? And you're just like, uh, this is getting weird. And then like when she finds out that like her fiance not only cheated on her, but cheated on her best friend. And he's got like a bunch of different girlfriends out there. There's a quiet moment where a protagonist thinks and says. We have to kidnap him. We're going to kidnap him. We're going to tie him to a bed and we're going to tattoo on his forehead. I am a cheater.
1: Beat me up. And the so best they go, friend. They're going full on girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah. There, and there.
0: then the best friend, again, totally sincere here. Like, this is like her moment. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I want to do that. <laughs> and that's when our protagonist has this moment. Our protagonist has this moment where she's just like, oh, my God, I was joking. Are you are you serious? Mm. And you realize this is the moment in the serial killer story where mm. like two serial killers are going to team up, okay. but they're it's feeling very- each other out. <laughs> like, I, mean, I brought it up as a joke, but like, no, I couldn't mean, possibly um, unless you're serious. Are you because se- I was just hmm. should we should we invest in like big tarps of plastic or should we? No, no, we were kidding. We were kidding. I'm of just course kidding, we were
1: kidding. But of course, if we were to do it, yeah.
0: it's super creepy. It like promotes stalking. It turns out that like this lady was only hired by this company because like Mm. the sister thought she'd be the perfect romantic interest for her brother who owns it. Mm. And so she engineered these entire events and she like invites her to parties where she forces her to call everyone family. Mm. And it's super fucking weird. Everyone is icy and horrible There are two big climaxes to this movie One in which uh, the the dog therapist Has to give a speech to potential investors And this is a company that sells like dog trackers Like if you lose your dog mm-hmm. She has to give a big speech to potential investors uh, She has to She gives like a big speech and She says it goes great And then ten minutes later their interpreter comes in and they didn't understand a word she said. That sounds almost like a funny scene. That happens entirely off camera. My also course. happens entirely off camera is the scene where it turns out that the uh, male lead, the her boss in the film, mm-hmm. uh, had met and reconciled with his father. We didn't even know they were estranged. And now dad's going to invest in the company and everything's fine. What? I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I did not know you could do that, and so out of curiosity, because we're sort of fascinated by this writer director Michael Pfeiffer. Okay, Michael Pfeiffer tell, is tell a, me about Michael. Michael Pfeiffer. Pfeiffer is. I'm fascinated by Michael Pfeiffer, and again, this is neither positive nor negative. Where did Just look p- at their p- look at their look at their film pedigree. No pun intended, because um, it's Twelve Pups. Look at the, this. This guy's got an amazing IMDb page. I'm going to list to you. Some titles. And he, he directed like five movies this year. Okay. So amongst the films on his filmography, Double Kidnapped, mm. My Daughter's Psycho
1: Friend. Those are like Hallmark kind of movies. And Hallmark, Hallmark doesn't
0: do scare films. Or That's Lifetime. But Life, I don't, excuse me, I, Lifetime scare films. I don't know if they're all in Lifetime. Uh, My Stepfather's Secret, Who's Stalking Me, Dangerous Matrimony, Deadly Lessons, Twelve Pups of Christmas, a woman deceived, inspired to kill, a killer walks among us. Merry Christmas, 16 and missing, his secret family, uh, it sounds deadly like daycare, it was- the nightmare nanny, the dog who saved the holidays. <laughs> And it turns out he got his like, he, like one of his first like oh. waves of films mm-hmm. where he did a series of films: uh, Ed Gein, the Butcher of Plainfield, Chicago Massacre, Richard Speck, BTK, Boston Strangler, The Untold Story, and Drifter. Henry Lee Lucas and Bundy: A Legacy of Evil. So again, I hmm. haven't watched all these movies. We okay, saw it out now. One- I, now I want to see the Twelve Pops of Christmas because I feels like he's. It, it, he's so fascinating to me. And we watched hmm. another Christmas movie. He did wondering if it was going to be as weird. And so we ended up picking up a film called Christmas with the Andersons, which came out in 2016. It happened to be on Tubi. Hmm. um, I didn't know you could make a film without a premise. And it turns out (laughs) you can. Uh, It starts off uh, just real fast. This movie starts off with like two deeply Southern people. They live in like a really tiny house They drive a pickup truck Hmm. and they're pregnant and they're speeding and like two cop cars are chasing them and they end up giving birth inside of the highway. Cut to uh, like five years later, they are now inexplicably rich uh, Beverly Hills people With no accent now. And they have become absolute asshole yuppies who lord their wealth over everybody. And now their jerkiness might lead to their comeuppance, except it doesn't really. Mm. At no point do they explain what happened in the middle there. They never show that. That's not a thing. So we just see them kind of be awful. And then Julie Brown shows up and... Kind of helps a little But she's not the fairy godmother you'd think And they end up uh, Finding out that if you, ch- if you make your own Christmas decorations instead of hiring A Christmas decorator People like your Christmas party more And then you get to
1: become a district attorney um, Okay You're describing the career of like David Dakota It's like- a really exciting career to discover <laughs> And I'm going to
0: watch All of these movies <laughs> all of these movies. I want to see every single thing in this ova because just the Christmas films are all of All of you know, them. I need cuz I cuz at this point if the Christmas movies have this weird, dark undercurrent, mm. I want to know if the if the dark movies have a weird Christmas undercurrent <laughs> where like Henry I, Lee Lucas has like a really kind of like a kind hearted doggy Christmas. Mm. But he also he's killing people like I want to know <laughs> right. if that's what's going on in these movies. A very Ted Bundy Christmas. I would I would not be shocked. I'm Fascinated mm-hmm. And again This journey might take me nowhere <laughs> I might see a couple of movies And realize this isn't that interesting it seems but seems you've I,
1: found a path And you're gonna follow it I,
0: it's, it's just this weird thing Where every I, I admit, You don't do this anymore Where you stumble across something mm-hmm. So often because we live in the, Like the streaming world We're going off of What's popular on social media right now What's trending Or no. what we're looking for Right And so just accidentally Stumbling across something Just with a general I'm looking for a Christmas thing Done Accidentally stumble across something and finding out that it's whether or not it's good. It's fascinating. Mm. I kind of missed that. And this was an odd adventure. <laughs> and it's so odd. I'm not going to review the 12 pups of Christmas because it doesn't really belong on a film review scale. Mm. Like we review our movies and we're gonna do it in a second on a scale of C minus to C plus where C is average. C minus is below average. We don't recommend it or it's quite bad. And C plus is above average where we do recommend it or it's quite good. Hmm. Um, I don't think this movie belongs on that scale. I don't know where it is. It's off to the side somewhere like it gets like a like a like a like a hashtag. (laughs) Like that's what I have to give this. I don't understand this. It's an odd motion picture and I think it deserves to be seen. Um, I was trying to find a way to like find like a click like a clip. Of that one scene where they talk about kidnapping a guy all serious and like just show that in a vacuum, and then like guess the title of this movie because you wouldn't guess it's Twelve Pups of Christmas. It's Twelve Pups. Of Christmas. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Uh, Winnie on the critically acclaimed scale. Let's do some movie reviews.
1: <laughs> so h- them.
0: How does Godmother? Mm. Uh, how does God mothered, Godmothered? Godmothered. Uh, how does that rate?
1: Uh, that's a C minus. There, oh. There's there's not uh, any in, enough self awareness or wit. Uh, Or uh, Good laughs To really recommend it It's just sort of Bland Mm. and blank That's a shame Uh, Black bear Black bear is a high C Okay um I'm it, it's it's a fascinating experiment. There's a lot of good performances in it. It mm. it's thesis is unclear. I might have to ruminate a little bit and see if it dissipates or if I actually find myself thinking about it a lot. Okay, fair enough. Mm. Uh Nomadland. Uh, big old C+. Plus. I loved no La- Nomadland. Land. I think it's one of the best films. Well, this I era. will definitely get back around to it as mm. soon as I possibly can. And then finally Small Axe. Mm. Uh, red, White
0: and Blue. This is a C plus. It's not as unqualified as C+. Plus. Uh, as I was with *Lovers Rock*, which I just think is transcendent, but this is an excellent, observant,
1: wisely written and acted motion picture, and I do highly recommend it. Yeah, I, uh, I agree on on all fronts. I think yeah. uh, I think S- Steve McQueen is doing something I- important and impactful, but subtly yeah. with *Red, White and Blue*, and I, I really admire what he did. So it, yeah, it's a C plus. Uh, you know who's not subtle? <laughs>
0: Brian (laughs) Brian, De Palma Brian De Palma Welcome to the Critically Acclaimed Streaming Mm. Club Where once again, uh, while everything is out of theaters Whitney and I are taking an opportunity every week To catch up on a movie on a streaming service That one or both of us haven't seen Mm. And that is always chosen by poll Over at our Patreon page Patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network This week it was all films on the Criterion channel And because, Whitney We we always pick two films each to go on the poll Hmm Whitney was on a bit of a losing streak where just like it had been a few weeks since something he picked was on the poll. So he got to pick everything on the poll. Hmm. I have actually seen Sisters before. It had been a while, but I had seen Sisters before. I was actually a little surprised to find out that Whitney hadn't seen this one because it seemed like it would be right up his alley. Uh, Whitney, before we delve into the movie Sisters, talk a little bit about Hmm. Brian De Palma because he's a big name, but it's been a while since he's been a prominent Hmm. figure in the industry, making big movies people are talking about Um, a lot he's uh what was his last feature film Um I want to say was that, it was that um Nomi yeah. Rapaz film
1: wasn't it it was called Passion yeah it was a, another was le- lesbian no horror. he did a movie Domino last year which was really bad I did not see Domino Domino is a really quite
0: bad movie but Brian De Palma is a very whirling dervish filmmaker so there mm. are some like cool shots like he yeah. does like a whole scene that's like an attempted assassination with a drone in that movie, which is kind of interesting. Okay. There's an interesting bit where <clears throat> in that movie where uh, there are uh, terrorists and they're you know going on like f- shooting sprees and it's all horrible. And, mm. uh, but uh, they've put cameras on like the, like the eyeglasses or something of their, of their killers. Mm. And now they have to edit the footage. And there's long conversations <laughs> about how to edit The footage
1: and you can that, tell that's that like That's very De Palma that's yeah. very De Palma uh, D- is like, uh, He likes to use split screens And special editing and obfuscation What he does is uh, I guess what his greatest strength as a filmmaker and like kind of his signature style hmm. is that he takes the idea that films are acts of voyeurism and kind of turns that back on the audience a little bit. There's yeah. a lot of watching and being caught in the act in De Palma movies. Uh, he very and of course he got a lot of cribbed that very heavily and openly from Alfred Hitchcock. In
0: fact, the, uh, yeah. quite a lot of his movies, not all, but mm. a lot of his movies owe a lot to Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. And the ones that don't owe a lot to filmmakers like Alfred Hitchcock. Like <laughs> I, he directed the first Mission Impossible mm. uh, film in the '90s, not the movie they did in the '60s, but the one in the '90s. And there's that scene everyone knows and copies, where Tom Cruise is like dangling from the ceiling, mm. and everyone's like, "Oh yeah, it's a iconic bit from Mission Impossible." Uh, De Palma got that from Top Copy.
1: He he did. It's a great heist movie.
0: It's I. I hadn't seen. Uh, that movie for many, many years until after I'd seen Mission Impossible. And then I watched it and I'm just like, okay, yeah, Brian De Palma saw this movie. He, Jesus he, Christ. He's, he a, he's a
1: very, very derivative filmmaker, but I yeah. think he brings a, a kind of lurid energy to a lot of his films. He puts a lot of queer energy into his films. Yeah. Uh, and he did a film version of The Black Dahlia. It's not good, but there's a lesbian song and dance number right in the middle with KD mm. Lang. It's like, That's oh, cool. wait, this is, this part's fun. Well, he, he has a tendency to uh, to directly borrow, mm. if not steal, Uh, Filmmaking
0: techniques that people are familiar with Or tropes that people are familiar with from Mm -hmm. other filmmakers But to his credit, he rarely, if ever, just does them He usually finds a different way to do them Or a different context, Mm -hmm. or a different meaning And so even though he's calling his shots In a very upfront way, in a way that like Quentin Tarantino does, for example um, He is, at least
1: at his best, trying to transform them into a new thing Yeah, yeah. and not always with great success Uh, His his first... um, the film of his earliest film that we still really talk about, like people don't really talk about High Mom too much. It's a pity. It's a good movie, but. Yeah. Um uh, I will only go so far to defend Phantom of the Paradise. I know it's mm. a favorite of yours. Um, I love that movie, but it's uh, a weird film in his filmography. But he did Carrie back in 1976, mm. and that was a, a big hit, and that one's still watched today. He, uh, he did
0: hit another movie in 1976 that's really good called Obsession, mm. uh, which stars William Devane um, and... Jean-Vierre Bujol's in that one. Yeah, and John Lithgow, who worked with uh, De Palma multiple times. He played a hitman in the movie Blowout, which is one of De Palma's best movies, mm. and he's the leading role in Raising Cain, which mm. is an amazing motion picture.
1: <laughs> whether
0: you like it or not, it's an it's, amazing yeah. motion picture. It's,
1: whether or not, yeah, whether or not it's, that, that's the I, thing about De Palma, when he's good, you're not really sure if he's being good or bad. Yeah, sometimes it's like, I know people who think that Body <laughs> Double is one mm.
0: of the best thrillers. Mm. I'm one of them. I also know people who think it's one of the worst thrillers, mm. and I can't come up with a cogent <laughs> argument. Because
1: they're very is The line yeah. is blurred In yeah, De Palma and, and you, can, you can even say that About you know some of his More acclaimed films Like Scarface yeah. uh, or, he, or even some of his Crappy films yeah. Like Snake Eyes Which is mm. not a good movie But holy shit The opening he, shot In Snake Eyes yeah, he, Is one of the most he, Incredible things he's ever He's shooting the heck Of that thing yeah. It's, yeah, There's a mystery in a, in a, At a boxing arena So it follows yeah. All these characters And there's a drone And they have to get Footage from the drone Yeah, yeah. This idea that there's Eyes everywhere Is yeah. a big theme in, in De Palma's movies He's made some garbage Yes Like bad like he made Bonfire of the Vanities. I yeah. hate Bonfire. Of the I've Vanities. actually never seen it, but I've heard uh, the legend. Yeah, he made Snake Eyes. He made the Mission to Mars movie and Mission Impossible. Mm. Like these, these were studio for hire gigs that yeah. he's not putting a lot of of energy into. But then he also made Femme Fatale, which I think is one of his better movies. I'm just not a in fan, general, but that's yeah. another
0: one where I feel like on a different day that would be my body double. I would see <laughs> that one before Body Double, and I'd like it mm-hmm. more than Body Double. Uh, but he's also made uh, uh, the Untouchables, which I think is. One of the great cop movies,
1: and even, it, even though it's bullshit. It's the it, worst history ever, but it's but, great. And it, and it feels like nothing like De Palma. It's like yeah. this big, slick Hollywood production feels like, yeah, this big kind of proper biopic. Yeah. And and it was directed by De Palma, and it was scripted by David Mamet. Yeah. It's like, what are these people doing making this big sort of mainstream ac- cop action movie? Uh,
0: he directed in nineteen seventy six. he directed Carrie, which was the first feature film ever adapted from a Stephen King novel. Mm. And he directed the hell out of that movie. That movie's still really great. The next movie he made was also about teens with psychic powers. <laughs> but, but but it was way crappier. It's not a good movie. Yeah. Uh, the Fury? With Amy Adams With Amy Adams also from uh, Not Amy Adams Not Amy um, uh, Amy Irving Amy Irving Sorry, took
1: me a second Not Amy Adams Uh, uh,
0: But yeah, it's about like An academy that CIA has Mm. for psychics Mm. And it's almost kind of like an X-Men kind of thing And It's worth it to get to One of, if not the greatest (laughs) human being explosions you've ever seen in a movie filmed from 13 angles yeah (laughs) they wanted to make sure they got I'm not gonna say who it is or how it happens but when it does it Can- is, he, De Palma knew, this is why people mm. will see and remember this film, because mm. this person exploded real good. I,
1: I got to see, uh, I went to the Upright Citizens Brigade Theater here in L.A. Uh, to see, a, it was like a horror movie powwow with a bunch of comedians, and mm. Patton Oswald was there, and Brian Posehn, <laughs> and one of the comedians said, we're, we're just going to watch the climax to the fury. <laughs> That's it. That's the uh, that's whole it. We're not going like, to watch that yeah, Well, they, they were showing like clips from the movie ah, and things okay. they liked. Uh, like um, one of them, uh, one of the comedians showed a clip from Pet Cemetery where okay. the young boy. I actually know the name of the actor. His name was Miko Hughes. Oh yeah, because uh, he, he was also in New Nightmare. Yeah, and, he was uh, kind of a big deal for a minute there. Yeah? But yeah, what, like this five-year-old actor. Like uh, at the at the end, it's really tragic, and the actor like falls over and clearly like hits his head really hard. Aww. He's okay. And and it's like this really kind of bizarre, violent, almost slapstick moment at the end of this horror movie. So that that was brought up. But yeah, they... When they showed the climax to the Fury, they counted every angle that it was shot from. And that was one of the funniest things I'd ever seen of them counting down. One, two, three, four. Yeah, it was just so great.
0: It's like when Jackie Chan would do a stunt and he'd make it like it was such a death defying stunt that he would show it like three times. He wouldn't even intercut. He'd show you the stunt and then he'd show you the stunt again. Hmm. And it's just because, look, I nearly killed myself <laughs> doing this stunt. I need you to see that. I fuck it. I need, I need to show my work. Like, I just solved the math equation from the beginning of Goodwill Hunting. I'm hmm. showing my work. OK, so you can all be impressed. Thank you. And we are well, impressed. Thank you very much.
1: But to go back to close to the beginning of De Palma's career uh, in 1972, and this was sort of the very first, as far as I can tell, De Palma De Palma film Like really Because he made like like, Movies
0: about like Voyeurism But this is the first Hitchcockian film He really made In
1: fact this borrows Very heavily from Rear Window Mm -hmm. Uh, He made He made Sisters Uh, This is my first time Seeing Sisters It's available on The Criterion channel Mm -hmm. It's also available Uh, On HBO Max uh, If you don't have Criterion Um I think you have to have a subscription to both or something like they're tied together in some way. I H- think H- H- a HBO lot of a lot of films
0: on Criterion are through Warner Brothers. Mm. And I think if Criterion has them through Warner Brothers, Warner Brothers is allowed to put them on their service. But okay. it's not like if you have HBO Max, you also have Criterion. Right. You have a you have decent a chunk of the a decent so chunk like. of Criterion stuff, but you don't have the whole thing. Mm. They're totally different services.
1: But yeah. Uh, this is a a truly, I I thought sisters was going to be because it was early to Palma Mm -hmm. was going to be a little bit more film studenty shabby. Yeah. Uh, this is slick as an eel. This movie, um, it's about it. First of all, it starts out, uh, Showing us footage from a voyeurism game show. Oh god,
0: it's so fucking weird! It's, it's right?
1: like, like it's like a candid camera sort of setup, yeah. and, and I've seen like early days of candid camera, and it was kind of like this. And yeah. the gag within this game show was that. Uh, a blind woman walks into a room where a man is doing some construction. No, it's a locker room. It's a locker room. She walks into like the men's locker room. And she, and she start- doesn't know yeah. she's in the wrong place. And she starts to undress. And the man uh, now is at this uh, impasse. Do I just sort of ogle this blind woman? And she right. doesn't know I'm here. Or do, or I, do, say I, do I say something? Or do and I and just leave. leave? Yeah. And and the contestants have to guess what he's going to do.
0: And again... When we see this scene, we don't know it's a game show yet. Oh. All we see is this guy getting dressed for work. It's a totally different movie. Then this blind woman comes in and she starts changing her clothes. And then freeze frame. You're watching Peeping Toms, mm. and it's such a cynical statement about where TV is at, and how <laughs> entertainment is itself a form of voyeurism. And so,
1: it gets and look at how dark this is. And uh, by the way, you're watching a De Palma film. Enjoy. Yeah, De Palma <laughs> likes to to implicate his audience, and that's something I admire about De Palma. Yeah. I, I admire any filmmaker who's willing to <laughs> to. to Feel a little bit of contempt for the people watching their work. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, then we, we cut to the set of the game show and we get to meet the two people who were in the clip.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it turns out that the, uh, the blind woman in the clip was, in fact, an actress they had hired, a, mo- a, a French-Canadian model. She's not really blind. Uh, yeah, and and she's
0: uh, she's, and she's played, played by Margot Kidder. Yeah, years before she did Superman. Margot Kidder has a, a Quebecois accent. Uh, In this movie That um, It's entirely
1: 100% accurate
0: Oh yeah, no, like This is like <laughs> there's like chewing the scenery, and then there's like treating the scenery as like a smorgasbord, and you've lined your pockets with plastic bags <laughs> so you can take some home. Like that's how much of a meal Margot Kidder is making out of this accent. She's
1: she's it's not uh
0: devouring it whole in front of your eyes. It's so wonderful to see actually. It's I, not, that's not quite. A good critique. Uh, yeah. It's just
1: fun. It's not quite as bad as John Cleese and Monty Python and the Holy Grail, but yeah. it's 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 not quite it's Dick Van Dyke there, yeah. and
0: Mary Poppins,
1: but it's pretty close. It's John's English bedwetting types. <laughs> but uh, the the man in that clip uh, was uh, well. Let me look up uh, the actor's name. I think it's uh, Lyle Wilson. Lyle Wilson. Yeah, yeah uh, he uh, he says that was an awkward position that show put me in. Uh, But we both won some prizes. Why don't we go get a drink? Mm -hmm. And she asks him out. She's like, well, I I won a prize. Why don't we go get a drink? And he's like, sure, because you're a a pretty French Canadian model and and you're an interesting person as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the date goes very well. They go back to her place. Uh, Then the date doesn't go very well. No, it actually starts going quite bad. Uh In fact, uh, we see that uh, she is taking some medication that accidentally get knocked down the drain at one point. Yeah, and so she sends Uh, him out to fill it. uh, But additionally, she's under a little bit of pressure because, and we saw this in the opening scene, uh villain character is sitting in the front row. Like he's, he's got like uh, these weird glasses and this big trench coat. Like he really stands out. So you know he's a book while
0: everyone's watching the show. And it turns out uh, uh, he's stalking them on their date. And she mm. says that he is her ex-husband and he is stalking her. He is played by William Finley. William Finley is an amazingly wonderful character actor. Uh, I believe he's sadly not with us anymore, but um, much like Margot Kidder again, Smorgasbord of a a Canadian accent Just (laughs) Hamming it up in a way that only William Finley could get away with Um, But uh, yeah So she's, she's on some pretty harsh medication She runs out of that medication She sends this new guy Uh, could you please get me my medication because I'm, I'm running low. And then while he's gone, he finds out, he found out that it is her and her twin sister's birthday.
1: He heard she and her twin sister conversing in the other room, although he did not see it.
0: Yeah. So he goes off to get her a cake for a birthday present because he seems like a pretty decent guy. And little does he know that that little extra amount of time that he took was time that she really needed to be on her pills. Mm. So when he gets back, she or possibly her twin sister Kills the
1: fuck out of him <laughs> in, a, in a really graphic scene Horrifying yeah. and she, bit She's laying on the couch bed And yeah, like like we get to see the knife going through his clothes It's oh, it's, it's, it's pretty graphic and,
0: and there's like shadow bits mm. where you see the knife going through parts of the human body Where mm. knives aren't usually seen going in movies mm. And it's pretty fucking amazing And at this point And we're about like The movie's like 90, 98 minutes mm. We're about a third of the way into the movie We get to meet our protagonist <laughs>
1: <laughs> this and this, this is so psycho. This, this is, is like, psycho. The kind of Palmas yeah. did
0: this a bunch of times. Stress yeah. to Kill works out like this, where you think you're following one character. Turns out, nope, that is not the protagonist at all. Mm. We haven't even met our protagonist yet. Uh, there is a, a, a news reporter. Played by uh, Jennifer Salt. Yeah. Uh, she plays a character named Grace, and she lives across the way. And she happens to witness the murder victim trying to, like, Call for help through the window, like wave a bloody hand. Hmm. Problem is, when she calls the cops, she had written an expose on police corruption and they do not want to help. <laughs> so it takes her forever to get the cops to go over there. And by that time, by the way, it, Margo Kidder and William Finley are, have, have been in the process of disposing the body.
1: Yeah, they're like cleaning it. Like he goes in and says, oh, no, what did you do? And they, yeah, they roll up the body and yeah. there's bloodstains everywhere. And, and we'd see a split screen. Oh, yeah. in, in this really virtuosically filmed scene of the actual timing of movements of both parties uh-huh. as uh, Jennifer Saltz tries to get the cops up to the room while they're frantically cleaning up all of the blood and getting everything ready for the cops, and we get to see them pass in the split screen. Mm-hmm. It's really, really cool. Split screen is something mm-hmm. that, it's it's a big trick that a lot of people aren't super fond
0: of because... Because it is a trick. It feels like a trick. Well, it is, it is and it isn't, because if you think about it, that's all editing often is. We call it parallel editing, when things mm-hmm. are happening at the same time in multiple places. Like... The ending of most Star Wars movies Work like this Where Okay, so uh, Anakin Skywalker Is shooting a bunch of droids Up in space Meanwhile Padme is uh, You know Attacking the big temple mm. And Jar Jar Binks Is on the battlefield With more droids And the Jedi Are fighting Darth Maul And all these things Are intercut So that It feels like they're happening At the same time Split screen Allows you to simply Show those things Happening at exactly The same time Often, parallel editing allows us to create a situation in which time doesn't actually function correctly, mm. and things take more time than they should or less time than they should. if you ever if you want to completely blow your mind, watch the uh, the two towers and return of the King mm. and realize that what Frodo and Sam are going through in like the two like the end of like Lord of the Rings is happening over the course of like one day mm. and everything else in the movie is happening over the course of many days. Mm. <laughs> if you don't think about it, but mm. then you realize, yeah, they just went up to that rock and they yeah, fought yeah, that yeah. spider, and then they went to the thing. That doesn't take as long as everything else did. It's called time compression. That's the yeah. the, the, the film jargon. But for when you when you split screen, that's not an option. You're seeing these things happen simultaneously, and De Palma uses it really smartly here because, again, we have someone who is clearly here to solve the crime, mm. catch the killers, or or kill Lurk. Who who knows at this point? And we see the killer or killers covering their tracks and we see how long it takes and we realize that it's taking her surprisingly long time to cross the street and talk to the cops and the villains of the piece are being surprisingly efficient oh god will they actually meet up before Mm -hmm. the the, these ticking clocks count down it's incredibly effective
1: filmmaking and uh Jennifer Salt gets to go into uh, da- Danielle Breton, that's the name mm. of the model, gets to go into her apartment. She plays dumb. Nothing really happened. Uh, she finds evidence that she has a twin sister because of that cake. Yeah,
0: he had the, he had both names of the sisters mm. put on the cake. And Margot Kidder tells the cops, oh, I don't have a sister. Hmm. I don't know what you're talking about. And then the reporter finds the cake and says, aha, she does have a sister, but then she trips and falls on the cake splatters. So Uh, now she knows, she knows for a fact, she is not seeing things, but she's the only one. So she's incredibly motivated to solve this. And the police are incredibly motivated not to believe her because they finally got convinced to to investigate the apartment. They didn't find anything. And also they hate her.
1: (laughs) So, so it's up to her to figure all this stuff out. She, uh, She starts investigating who this person is now. Oh, and uh, another, another clue as we saw, um, during the date sequence that Danielle has a big scar on her side Yeah, and that's significant as well. Uh, she, uh, she ends up investigating. She starts looking into the past of Danielle. She ends up hiring a private investigator. Played by the great played by, Charles, uh, Charles Durning. Durning. I love Charles Durning. He's not in the movie uh, a lot, but he's yeah. great. Oh, you know who's not in the movie a lot is Olympia Dukakis. She's, oh, yeah. She she's one of, the one, of the, one of the cake makers. She's not credited. She has two lines, but that's but, Olympia Dukakis. So and she's, she's really like, good
0: in those two lines.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> she steals those two <laughs> lines. He's really great. Forgot about uh, that. But, right? yeah, uh, she's also in Death Wish. She's one of the cops. Oh, that's right. Remember she is. that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, I love Olympia Dukakis. She's Me too. wonderful. Yeah, sea moonstruck. Please. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so she begins to investigate. Uh, uh,
0: the, uh, the, our great caller, not Olympia Dukakis,
1: not Olympia Dukakis. <laughs> it would be great if it was Olympia Dukakis movie, the, and that could, that could totally be a prime de Palma twist. <laughs> Turns out one of the bakers is interested in all of this. <laughs> Uh, no, uh, yeah, the, the, the Jennifer Salt character begins investigating uh, Danielle Breton And finds pretty quickly, uh, because there was a story written about her mm-hmm. uh, s- Some years previous, that she was a conjoined twin mm-hmm. And she has a conjoined twin somewhere, and they were separated
0: Yeah, now here's uh, the thing with sisters, no. because like, there's like a whole lot of like well, this big reveal me, mm-hmm. But I want to say this about it: Brian De Palma wants you to know because he, he broadcasts a lot. It's, it's not subtle, actually. Mm. And again, if you're not familiar with twist filmmaking, it might come as a surprise. But he doesn't save it for right at the end, actually. He chose his cards pretty early in the film. Mm. And at that point, the movie isn't so much a gotcha as it is the Palma going, I didn't come up with a big mystery. What I came up was a twisted piece of Grand Guignol, yeah, yeah, like and psycho killer
1: madness. So and let I want me, uh, to show you what I did because uh, it's weird. Uh, I, I don't want to reveal too much more because I actually think you should see this movie and there's some like really right. weird shit that goes down uh, yeah. near the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, needless to say, the Jennifer salt character uh, in her investigation finds herself in a pretty twisted and. Inex- inextricable situation mm-hmm. where she's locked in a mental hospital yeah. and, uh, and she's being psychologically tortured by silent filmmaking, essentially.
0: Uh, <laughs> and a very clever way. I'll say this right now. They come up with maybe the most ingenious way to show the flashbacks of Margot Kidder having a conjoined identical twin mm. and not having Margot Kidder being it twice. They come up with a brilliant because basically you can tell that on some level, this is a budgetary thing,
1: but also it works and it's amazing. They do do the split screen thing a few times and you can like see the seam in the film. Like it's pretty obvious. Yeah, Mm.
0: but that's why they only do it a couple of times so that I do. I
1: I do want to uh, give a minor disclaimer, uh, and I think we all know this, but it's worth repeating. Don't go to Hollywood features for any kind of accuracy about mental illness. No, They never get it right. Uh, Even when they uh, purport to get it right. They rarely do. No, it's it's basically once Hollywood filmmakers
0: found out that like. Mental illness could like warp someone's perception of reality Mm. or like we've seen in a lot of movies, for example, where people have uh, multiple personalities. Hollywood, all Hollywood could think to do with that was, oh, they might be serial killers. And like, that's all every bit of mental illness is to some Hollywood screenwriters is an excuse to tell a murder
1: mystery. If you've heard of a a certain uh, uh, mental illness or uh, mental affliction. And you've only ever have seen it in Hollywood thrillers. You got the wrong version. Yes. Period. It's Silence just of the Lambs wrong. Just <laughs> perpetrator of exactly an egregious uh, and, perpetrator. Of and, this. and and the Silence of the Lambs was so stylish and so and so mm. dark and so dour that a lot of people thought, oh, they must be taking the. Uh, the realism of the psychology, uh, with like a little bit of heft to it when they really weren't, no, they were were doing what they're doing in sisters, which is, and you use the term grand guignol. They're trying to tell this gigantic lurid, uh, horror thriller, essentially. Yeah. And on that level, and it's amazing. Exactly. It's and amazing. And but they're still again, doing it, always with a grain of salt. They're still doing it to this day. Look at a film like Split. Yeah. There's no psychological realism to something like Split. It's a superhero movie. I spent most of Split really angry, actually, at their treatment mm. of
0: mental health issues mm. and how they were turning basically mental health issues into, into the origin like a of a supervillain. And, yeah. and it wasn't until the end, and now we know, because mm. Glass came out, that it was all connected to the superhero universe, where I'm like, okay, the fact that you've put this in a superhero universe... Makes it a little bit
1: more palatable Because it goes it's, from, it's kind of fantastical now It goes yeah.
0: from being this and, and it's still fucked up And if it's to turn up to you I totally get it And that's mm. perfectly valid But when you put it in the context of allegory mm. Which is where a lot of superhero stories live You get a little bit more leeway mm. But when you don't do that until the end of the movie You might get through most of the movie Kind of gritting your teeth a little And going This is incredibly well made But I'm really mad right now mm. Um, De Palma I don't think Has ever been Super concerned With actual psychology No um, so he's no, done some amazing no, no, no. movies uh, That deal with well, that uh, means- Villains with mental health issues Raising Cain Is another one Where it's absolutely brilliant And probably the worst Possible psychology mm. You could possibly have On the topic um, Sisters doesn't really delve into it that much because it's all
1: about medical villainy in a way. Hmm. It's all about manipulation. Well, and, and it yeah. and it does treat like conjoined twins as something kind of
0: freaky, and uh, yeah. um, and that, that's in a very offensive term. And It should not have been a thing, and they yeah, even refer to the refer to them by their um, you know
1: crappier the the, uh, the dated term is Siamese twins, yeah. uh, which was dated um, and offensive dated and offensive and incorrect. In fact, yeah. uh, the the term uh, sprang up from the famous conjoined twins Chang and Ang, who were Chinese. They weren't from Thailand. Yeah, they weren't Siamese. Yeah. Uh, but that that so was a misnomer that somehow stuck uh, yeah. to to describe conjoined twins. So, they, don't, like, they didn't say conjoined. Yeah. So sisters. So th- th- sisters there's is a the lot kind of movie of where blunt, insensitive language. But yeah. it's a blunt film that's set in this kind of gigantic. Overwrought universe I will say this Unlike something
0: like Silence of the Lambs Which mm. has this air Of technical uh, Craft to it mm. um, This sort of austerity um, Sisters is There's nothing austere about it mm. Sisters is uh, Lurid and junky But it's as splendidly crafted As that can get mm. um, So Again If that's A turn off to you And you, you don't think That sounds like Something you would dig Fine Totally mm. valid critique but if you get on the film's wavelength, this is a wonderfully twisted <laughs> horror movie yeah, yeah. with gorgeously over the top performances, incredible virtuosic camera work. Um, there's a bit at the end, which, again, we're not going to talk too much about the end, but there's a part of the ending that doesn't go where you think it's going to go at all. Mm. Like, you, even if you're ahead of the movie and it's easy to be, but even if you're ahead of the movie, I doubt you'll guess where everything ends up. Yeah. And I was very, very pleased with just how mean it felt. I it felt like <laughs> it felt like, a, like a cruel joke yeah. had been played on the audience. Maybe the characters, I don't want to give too much away, but it feels like a cruel joke has been played. Mm-hmm. And boy, is that fascinating? And I can't imagine other movies ending with like nowadays with that level of viciousness. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: it's um, incredible. It, it's, it's, it is incredible. And, uh, I admire the the filmmakers who are willing to just go balls to the wall mm-hmm. the way De Palma does. Uh, I. Very different filmmaker, but I feel like Spike Lee does a, a, has a similar approach to filmmaking. Yeah, he
0: doesn't. Why, he doesn't hide his film, his yeah. cinematic influences. Or his, hmm. hell, do the right thing has a speech from Night of the Hunter. They just lifted <laughs> the whole speech. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't
1: pretend, and you know what? He gets away with it because he does as um, well. So there are some filmmakers who can deal with these sort of big, broad movements and can sh- shout at the audience mm-hmm. and really broadcast that these things are just cinema It's big and it's artificial and it's okay. And and I think diploma is really embracing that kind of lurid artificiality, calling attention to the reason we go to a lot of these movies. Now we're critics. We like to be highfalutin. We like to talk about how films generate empathy and how Mm -hmm. they enter the human heart in this really important salient way that they are a living dream form of the modern age. Uh, At the same time, we like to see people fucking and getting stabbed. (laughs) There's a that's a a big reason why we go to the movies. Listen, people people enjoy. Listen, cinema
0: is an incredibly powerful art form Mm. that has the power to teach, to uh, expand our horizons, to expand our consciousness. But it's Mm. also entertainment. And the entertainment that we get from watching superheroes beat up each other in a PG-13 way Mm. is one form of entertainment. (laughs) Right. Violence done. Well Not just for its own sake But done well Can be incredibly entertaining Absolutely Sex can be incredibly entertaining Mm. Now Two people having a conversation In a car Can be incredibly entertaining It's We want to be captivated And Brian De Palma I think even it is Even in some of his more Quote unquote respectable movies Like The Untouchables E makes no apologies for wanting to get in your face and say you enjoy this now, and I'm like, okay, fine. Just show me Kevin Costner riding a horse on a bridge
1: <laughs> with a shotgun. Above yeah, this yeah. is fucking awesome. <laughs> I love The Untouchables so much. Is that what's your favorite Brandon DePalma movie? Uh, it's kind of it's a tough call. Um, no. I, I go back to Femme Fatale just because I think it's underrated. Um, yeah. it's it's sort of this um, lesbian heist. Amnesia thriller that so might weird. be a dream or not. It's yeah, it's such a it's, weird film. Uh, it, it, it is really bizarre. That one t- like knocks you for a loop a little bit. Yeah, uh, Rebecca Ramin's best performance. Oh, easily. Yeah, uh, and uh, Antonio Banderas doing something. I, I don't know what he's doing. He's he's doing something. Yeah. He's doing it. Well, why are you behaving that way in this scene? Why is she so out of it? Oh, that makes sense now that I've seen the movie a couple times. Yeah. Um Gosh, but what is my favorite De Palma movie? I think it's uh, okay. Ra- Raising Kane. is a good one, too. Yeah, Raising Cane's brilliant. I, I don't hear Ka- what anyone says. I think that movie's yeah. amazing. Raising Kane has... Uh, it's also famous for... Uh, it's famous, the famous Steadicam shot. Oh, back back before, these things were really kind of a little bit more common in filmmaking. Yeah. Well, because th-
0: nowadays they're more compact. They're easy yeah. to do. People are using drones a lot, which allows filmmakers who might not otherwise have had the ability to work out a shot with the amount of time that it takes to do mm. an incredibly long Steadicam shot. With drones, with a lot of things, there are angles that are possible now mm. with one take that weren't before. Mm. That's good. That's cool. I like that. That's awesome. But it's a little bit more impressive when the cameras were gigantic, mm. and you could tell that this is like take twenty, and they spent a week on it. And there's a great one. raising, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like, like the camera gets into like an elevator with so people, and you know, falls into the there's a big lobby, reveal you know? and shit. Um, I think my favorite is The Untouchables, but I think my favorite De Palma movie, uh-huh. because the, the Untouchables feels like De Palma doing Hollywood, mm. better than Hollywood was doing itself, by the way, mm. but, um, uh. Is it Body Double? It might be Body Double. Body Double's pretty fucking amazing. Body Double is so lurid and twisted yeah, and I haven't seen uncanny. Body Double. Oh, you haven't? Um, oh, now that's a rear
1: window knockoff without shame. <laughs> without <laughs> yeah. shame, that movie. I've seen Carrie. I've seen The yeah. Fury. I've seen Blowout. I like Blowout. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah, Scarface is... Uh, that, that, that's it is what a, it is. That movie's a party. Um. <laughs> <laughs> <Bye>. um, <laughs> I've never seen Casualties of War.
0: I heard that's really mm. good.
1: It's de- uh, depressing Well it's a Vietnam movie so yeah. yeah It's depressing oh, Yeah and I've seen Bonfire of the Vanities Yeah Hated Bonfire of the Vanities it's Mission <laughs>
0: Impossible is quite underrated I feel I think the, the, the newer movies get more credit for doing the crazier stunts But yeah. I think Mission
1: Impossible is really good well, I, I remember a lot of people being uh, upset with Mission Impossible for how like terse it is. Like they were expecting something a little bit more actiony, and that one's a little bit more about it was a spy movie, yeah, pressure and sneaking around. It ends with an amazing action sequence. I don't know what everyone hell's problem is. I think people because actual- the amazing action sequence is bizarre and stupid. I love it's it. It's a though. helicopter chase through the tunnel. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. No, I think a lot of people were
0: mad at it because I remember at the time Mission Impossible came out. It had only been like 20, 25 years since the show was off the air. Mm-hmm. And they kind of spit on the show a little bit. Because it would be they, like they killed the team. right? They at the killed start the of team and year. they made one of the heroes on the show, the bad guy. And nowadays people be pissed yeah. if you did that. Like, imagine if they, they like, rebooted
1: Star Trek and it turns out Spock was the villain. Yeah. And it's canon. And you're like, <laughs> and wait, they killed what? off the rest of the cast. Like, and then everyone embraced Zuru. it and no one cared. And I'm like, wait, no, I actually have an issue with that. No
0: one cares anymore. It was 20 years ago. But time, yeah, time doesn't matter to us anymore. I, it's I the nineties.
1: I would so be, be. I would have been so impressed if they re, like. I like Star Trek a lot. If they like had rebooted it and they had the balls to just kill off the cast. Yeah, it's like, an, like and we're going to introduce all of these people. Oh look, and there's bone. <gasps> Bones died. Holy shit, Chekhov is dead too! Yeah, like literally that would have been JJ
0: Abrams movie, like halfway through it the entire original cast time. And now it's just like Nurse Chapel has to take control of the ship. Yeah. (laughs) Like like it's all these little things. Oh, Bailey is now second in command. Curse you, Bailey!
1: (laughs) Do you know how to use a batleth? Well I do now. Because Spock is banging he's breaking through the door to the bridge. I love how we managed to make a
0: conversation about Brand of DePoma's Sisters about Star I Trek. About Star Trek, yay! Oh, we did how it again. <laughs> <laughs> Finish your drink. Okay, so that is Sisters. Sisters is great. Um, Sisters is great. I'm, it's I'm twisted. glad I it's very weird. To see it. But it's really, really great and mm-hmm. I highly recommend it. I'm glad it held up. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in about 20 years, so I'm glad it held up. Um, so yeah, that is critically acclaimed for this week. Thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week with reviews of more movies, dang it! More of them. There's another small acts coming out. Yep. Definitely going to see that. And probably other stuff as well. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't look it up. And other films as well. Uh, <laughs> uh, but we got more stuff. You know us. We'll watch as many things as we can. Mm. Uh, and uh, yeah. And of course, uh, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network where you can vote for future uh, uh, streaming clubs and other uh, episodes of our shows as well. Next week. Uh, The poll was for 1980s action movies on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because this is actually a bit of a blind spot for Whitney. He didn't grow up with a lot of the action movies that the rest of us did. He was, was watching comedies at the time. Uh, when I was watching movies, yeah, I was getting no. comedies it, from the it, local it, video store. You, you didn't have that, like you know, that geeky upbringing as a kid. You were geeking yeah. out about Mel Brooks and stuff. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. there's some fun stuff that Whitney hadn't seen. A few things I hadn't seen as well. The winner of the poll, and I'm I'm really glad it won. It looked like it wasn't going to, and then mm-hmm. it rallied. Uh, is the fantasy film Dragon Slayer? Starring Peter McNichol, the uh, Janusz from Ghostbusters 2. Very good actor. As a sorcerer's apprentice who has to fight a dragon when the sorcerer dies. It has, and I stand by this, the single coolest dragon in movie history. Easily. Okay. The coolest. To this day. I know you've seen some cool CGI dragons. The dragon is called Vermithrax Pejorative, which is easily the coolest dragon name anyone has ever conceived of. <laughs> and if nothing else, you should check out this movie just for the old stop-motion visual effects, which are incredible. So we're going to be doing that next week. We're also on the Twitters. We're at, at Critic Acclaim. I'm at Landa Biani. I'm at Whitney Seidel. Uh, and of course, you can write into our uh, letters show... Our show is called We've Got Mail. The email address is letters at critically dot net. If you want to talk about anything we discussed on this episode, anything we didn't discuss on this episode, you want to talk to us about stuff that you like, stuff that you don't like, recommendations or not things, hmm. stuff that you do. We can read that <laughs> stuff, on
1: stuff that you do. We can read that on We've Got hmm.
0: Mail. I'm running out of energy. Whitney hmm. uh, gave me an incredibly caffeinated beverage and I'm starting to crash a little bit. <laughs>
1: Drink, drink more. Oh God. <laughs> So delicious.
0: Whitney, take us out on our mm. on our weekly catchphrase.
1: But what is our weekly catchphrase?
0: Never forget everyone's a critic.
1: Mm, never forget. Everyone's a critic. I wanna go to the Midnight Show. I'm sorry, what?